Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamp, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 370 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined as ever by former heavyweight world title challenger, one of my best friends in the entire world. It is, of course, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how you doing this week, my man? I'm doing good, bro. How are you? <laughs> that was such a dead reaction to the nice introduction with all my energy. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I'm doing great. I'm about to jump off the ceiling, man. What's going on? <laughs> What's going on with you, Joe? <laughs> Not much, my friend. That's more like it, though. That's the energy we need. Um, yeah, diving straight into the review part of the show as ever. We're going to start here with a card that took place on Friday. Uh, it was on, I think it was on um, Fight TV, if I'm not mistaken. We had Sonny Edwards move to 19-0, and a successful defense of his IBF flyweight world title against Felix Alvarado, former champion, now 38-3. and He had 33 KOs to his name, Alvarado. was a proven banger at world level, but... Uh, um, Sonny Edwards, just too good, too clever. I think um, Alvarado maybe won a couple of rounds. You know, it seemed like he was getting to Edwards late on. But, you know, Edwards is such a talent. And I've said it time and time again. Brilliant fighter. Um, obviously from my hometown, um, Croydon. So, yeah, good stuff for him. Friend of the show. Um on the undercard, we had Jack Bateson lose his O. Oh, he's now 17 and 1. I should mention, by the way, Sonny Edwards, obviously, unanimous decision. I'm not sure if I said that over 12 rounds. Um, Jack Bateson loses his O. Oh. He was TKO'd in the 12th and final round against Shabazz Massoud, who's now 11 and 0. Oh. Somebody's O oh had to go. Jack Bateson was the underdog for a reason. This guy, Shabazz Massoud, there's been a lot of talk about him, a lot of hype about him for quite a long time. And I think he's proven it there on the big stage, really. Um, over 12 rounds, obviously. World title undercard. You know, good amateur in the in the opposite corner in Jack Bateson. And a lot of people who hadn't heard of Masood were wondering how he could be the favourite. Well, he's proven everyone... Um, proven how good he is to everyone I think is the best way to say it was for the WBA Intercontinental Super Bantamweight title Bateson down twice in that 12th round gutted for him um, but yeah brilliant win for Shabazz Masood. also on the undercard we had Thomas Esomba now 11-8 and eight with a draw he lost a split decision over 12 rounds to Marcel Braithwaite so crazy really I mean these fights obviously were at the lower weights you know Superfly Fly Super Bantam um, they all ended up going to the final round of the fight. Um, so, you know, we saw 36 rounds of boxing there in three fights. Even though Bateson got knocked out in the 12th and final round, we still got to that 12th and final round. Um, Thomas Esombra was the favourite against Marcel Braithwaite, who's now 14-3. and three. Um, It should be mentioned that Braithwaite failed to make the weight, by the way. And it was a final eliminator for the British title. Um, you know, it was supposed to be. Um... Yeah, I mean, Braithwaite, I think, was a little bit better than what we thought. I think he, 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 you know, he fought with a good game plan. And Thomas Esomba, I just thought maybe the experience was on his side and stuff like that. Way better than his record suggests. And maybe he'd get the win. The bookies felt the same. Um, it was always a fight that I think was going to go to distance. That is what I expected to happen. I thought Esomba would win on points, but Marcel Braithwaite managed to clutch it. That split decision there. Um, moving out to this one, it took place 
um, at the York Hall in Bethnal Green, also on the Friday. It was live on BT Sport. Um, gonna gonna mention the three main fights. David Adelaide now ten and zero, a knockout in round two against Elvis Garcia. Now nine and four. He was down three times in the second round. Garcia came to give it a go a little bit. Bit of a tough guy. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was never going to end well for him. Uh, we had friend of the show, Willie Hutchinson, move to 15-1. A TKO there in round seven against Luca Spadaccini, who's now 8-5 with three draws. Spadaccini down prior to the stoppage. Um, Nick Ball as well in the main event. Now 17-0, a knockout in the very first round against Jesus Rubio, who's now 21-2 with three draws. Um, down three times Rubio for the WBC silver featherweight title. I expected more from the Mexican. You know, he was he was a big puncher from what his record suggested. I know he didn't have much notice, but to 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 be stopped in a round was 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 a massive statement really for Nick Ball and kind of uh, a bad look for Rubio. Obviously, you know, Mexicans have got that reputation for being super super tough, and because he could bang and bang to a decent enough level. Uh, there was a lot of people fancying him to get the upset. We've got to remember Nick Ball's only five foot two, and he was giving away a lot of height there. You know, he had the disadvantage of being the much smaller guy. And yeah, I fancied Rubio potentially. I didn't think, you know, I wasn't going to put my life savings on it, but I felt that for twelve to one for the knockout was was quite a decent price. But obviously, Nick Ball smashed him really, and that's so impressive. And it was never a fight that was going to go to distance, even though these guys are feathered. You know, they're kind of the, the smaller guys, really. But, um, yeah, Nick Ball, I mean, such an exciting fighter, but only five foot two at featherweight. I mean, it's crazy. There's other fi- there's other featherweights out there that are around about the 5'10 mark. So, um, much smaller guy, but, yeah, very exciting to watch. Moving out now to the Manchester Arena in Manchester. Uh, this one was live on Sky. It was on the Saturday Let's talk about the undercard. A a upset win for Jordan Ellison, the journeyman, now 14 and 44 with three draws. He was able to beat um, on points over four rounds the previously undefeated Dylan Chima, now seven and one. Um, it's it's a tough one, really, when you're you know you're only a couple fights into your pro career. I say a couple. I mean Dylan Chima seven and zero, but you could tell like Dylan Chima is not fully developed. Um, in terms of his boxing skills and his, you know, in, in terms of being a fully-fledged boxer just yet, I, f- I think he's still very much a work in progress, learning on the job. And to throw him in with a very seasoned journeyman you know, in a four-rounder, that's so risky because those four-rounders, man, you know, if you lose one round, like you lose the first round, you've got to win all three of the next. And it's just like they're, they're you know... <laughs> They're um, very risky. So if you throw a guy in who's not very experienced, doesn't have a big amateur, you know, amateur background, you throw him in with a seasoned, tough journeyman like Jordan Ellison is. This is what can happen. So his career has temporarily been derailed. Elsewhere on the undercard, we had Vidal Riley move to seven and zero, a TKO in the third round against the previously undefeated Ross McGuigan, now three and one. Uh, we had Fraser Clark go to distance, I believe, for the first time in his career. Brilliant bet this one was. I mentioned it last week. Fraser Clark to go to distance against Camille Sokolowski. Felt it was always going to happen. Um, he didn't really hurt Sokolowski, I don't think, throughout the contest. Um, yeah, so Fraser Clark 4-0. Camille Sokolowski now 11-27 and with three draws over six rounds. Um, yeah, you could you could more than double your money with that one there. So that was a fantastic bet. Um, what else did we have? We had, this was a bit tough to take actually, Tyler Denny, um, he's now uh, 15 and 2 with three draws, a successful defence there of his English middleweight title against friend of the show, Bradley Ray, gutted for Bradley Ray, spoke to him after the fight, um, seems like he's in, you know, in, in a decent place, seems like he's not like down in the dumps and, you know, um, taking it very, very tough at this stage anyway, Um you know, hopefully he can keep his head up. Very, very nice guy. Everyone likes Bradley Ray. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was just outgunned, really, by Tyler Denny, who who showed up and boxed a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant fight. Um, 
Bradley Ray did hurt Tyler Denny late on to the body and Denny was in lots and lots of trouble and Denny also had a point deducted in round nine I believe it was but none of that could could um, you know could get Bradley Ray close to winning on the cards when it did go the distance over 10 rounds guided for Bradley Ray like I say really would have liked to see him push on um, I fancied him to win on points and yeah that was a bet lost um, but yeah hopefully like I say can keep his head up and come again and learn from that he's still young Bradley Ray um, elsewhere on the card we had Natasha Jonas as well moved to 13 and 2 with a draw it was a unanimous decision over 10 two minute rounds there against Marie Eve Decare who's now 18 and 2 um, I'm going to be honest I didn't see much of this fight um, it was for the WBC, WBO and IBF world super welterweight titles obviously a unification there Jonas had two belts, Decare had one belt um, I think she had the IBF if I'm not mistaken, could be wrong but anyways, Decare as far as I'm aware was dealt with quite easily by Clarissa Shields and then Natasha Jonas obviously got in there with Decare and from what I saw, the bits I did see it looked like it was a much tougher fight than people expected it to be um yeah, I can't remember the scorecards off the top of my head, to be honest with you, but I think there might have been a couple of close ones, I think. And, um, yeah, I mean, Natasha Jonas, as we know, not really a true 154. I mean, she's she's small at the weight. We saw Decare, the much bigger lady in stature. And, um, yeah, Jonas at times was, was really struggling um, to to deal with Decare. I think it was late on that Decare came on strong from my memory, from the little bits I did see. Um, but, yeah, I'm not sure what you can read into that. I'd like to see Jonas get back in with Terry Harper. I think that would be a good fight again. Um, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, decent fight, like I say. And I don't want to see Jonas against Shields. There were people talking about that. That's a, that's a terrible fight for Jonas. Uh, I don't want to see that. Um, but, yeah, great win for her. She still, you know, managed to turn her career around despite being in her late 30s. She's doing a brilliant job. And also on the card, Dalton Smith now 13-0. and 0. Um, It was a close kind of fight, I guess, at times against Casey Benjamin. I'm not sure how many rounds I gave Benjamin, but he was, he was well in the fight and competitive every round, really. Uh, Dalton Smith just that little bit better, though, in all areas. It was a defense of Smith's British super lightweight title. Like I say, 13-0. Casey Benjamin now 16-2 with a draw. I'd like to see Benjamin come again. I think he can. Um, you know, he wasn't outclassed so much. And Dalton Smith, you know, we're ranting and raving about how good he's going to be. Um, didn't look invincible against Benjamin, who, like I say, most people thought would get stopped. So, yeah, I liked what I saw from Benjamin. I liked what I saw from Dalton Smith. After the fight, Dalton Smith's father and trainer, Grant Smith, you know, took took a moment actually in the interview on on the on the ring mat to say that, he thinks Benjamin is world level and no one wanted to fight him, but we took the fight. And um, he, he mentioned that Dalton Smith was quite ill, I think, the week before the fight. And the fight wasn't supposed to happen and he wanted to call it off. But they went with it anyway and obviously got the win and maybe didn't impress as much as he, as he, as he could have. But anyway, yeah, I like the fact that they gave a lot of credit there to Benjamin. Uh, what else did we have? Nothing on that undercard. But moving out now stateside to this one, it took place at the Palms Casino Resort in Las Vegas, Nevada, USA. Over here, a top-ranked show. It was live on Sky Sports. No, sorry, it wasn't. It was on BT Sport in the UK. And I'm guessing ESPN in the US. On the undercard, one fight to mention. Sinisa Estrada now 23-0. A unanimous decision there over 10 two-minute rounds against Jasmine Villarino, who's now 6-2 and two with two draws. It was a defense of Estrada's WBA minimum weight world title. Um, I expected Estrada to maybe get the stoppage there, but she didn't. She went the distance. Um, I don't remember watching any of that fight, I've got to be honest. And then the main event, Zanibek Alim Kanuli. And I think you can pronounce that about seven different ways, depending on where you're from. Um, he's now 13-0, and 0, a unanimous decision over 12 rounds, a defense of his WBO world middleweight title against Britain's very own Denzel Bentley, now 17-2 and 2 with a draw. Um... Yeah, I mean, Bentley put up a decent fight. A lot of people felt he'd get stopped, and he'd probably get stopped as quick as he did against Felix Cash, or maybe even quicker, because Alim Kanuli's this monster that no one wants to fight. 
But Alim Kanuli again, didn't look invincible here. Um, you know, I think he started well. It took Bentley quite a while to come out of his shell. He seemed like he was just there. You know, I'm not sure what the game plan was. He was kind of standing there, very defensive-minded. And it's not really the way to win a fight, especially when you're away from home. You're a big puncher. You need to kind of, you know, land something. You need to get the respect of Alim Kanuli. You need to, you need to, you know, put him on the back foot maybe and don't let him dictate everything. But... It seemed like he was quite happy to just sit back at times. You know, he tried a few different counters there, but there was a lot of tippy-tappy kind of shots, and I was just thinking to myself, he's going to lose this fight, even if he doesn't get stopped. He's going to lose this fight within the first four rounds if he continues to fight like this. But he did eventually start opening up as the fight went on, and like I say, Alim Kanuli started breathing quite heavy and, you know, um, got caught a few times as well. But, you know, the, the rightful winner in the end, Alim Kanuli pretty much... You know, very wide. A landslide win, really. But it wasn't that impressive, because we all expected him to bang um, Denzel Bentley out, and that's not what happened. So, um, yeah. Credit to him. Um, credit to Bentley as well. I think his stocks go up again with a loss. Um, and, yeah, I think a lot of people are going to probably be quite excited to see him again. Um, terrible, terrible questions from um, Mark Kriegel in the ring afterwards, saying to Denzel Bentley that he looked a bit scared for the first few rounds. Was he scared and was he surprised to be uh, still there after four or five rounds? You know, just crazy questions. Like, you could tell Denzel Bentley was feeling so awkward. He was shaking his head. He didn't know what, you know, what kind of questions they were. Mark Kriegel seemed like he hadn't fought anything through. And moving out now to the final card to mention, it took place at the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse in Cleveland, Ohio. It was live on the zone. Let's start with the undercard. Good win for prospect Raymond Ford, now 13-0 with a draw, a KO in round eight there for the WBA Continental America's featherweight title against Sakaria Lucas, now 25-2 with a draw. Lucas down in round one and in round eight. Um, Richardson Hitchens as well with a win, 15-0, um, a defense of his IBF North American super lightweight title, an eighth-round retirement win against Yomar Alamo, didn't want to come out for round nine, he's now 20-2 and two with a draw. Um, Eddie, you came off mute, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to you, what was you going to say, my man? Yeah, yeah, uh, Ray Ford, he was, he was, <laughs> he looked good, you know, and, and I'm not just saying that just because there's connection between me and his trainer, uh, one of his trainers, uh, you know, and Coach Ant, but um, he really looked good. And the kid that, that he fought, the guy he fought, was world-level fighter, you know, good banger. And the plan they had was to kind of reverse that, put him on the back foot, keep him keep him going in reverse, and it worked. And, and Ray Ford looked exceptional, taking care of business in there. And I also liked... Uh, some of the things that Hitchens was doing with uh, with the guy he was fighting, honestly though, it kind of gave me like some of the some some of the time like his aggression and his ability was eventually going to win the fight over, and that's why he ended up you know being on the stool at the end. Uh, however, there were certain things that I've seen with it. His punch selection could be a little bit better, and. And he was obviously trying to call out Montana Love. And, and Montana Love is, is talented and he's good. I mean, we're going to obviously get to that in a minute. But um, but I, I honestly, from looking at Richard's Hitching, I don't know for sure if um, with what I saw from that particular fight. Now, Styles make fights, so that doesn't necessarily mean that he won't go in and he wouldn't be able to beat a Montana Love. But it was just as as he looked in certain spots, punch, punch selection would not have to be a little bit better. Um, he's got speed. He's got ability. Um, I, I think he's got pretty decent pop, but I'm not sure how that would work with him. And I would have to, that fight, that would be an interesting fight that I would want to see. So it's good that he called him out, but, um, but it's definitely interesting. But I think the star of the card, to be honest, from what I've seen up to that point was Raymond Ford. He looked good. He stopped a guy who, who I don't even know, has he ever been stopped before? I don't even think he's been stopped before. And, um, and did it in, in an impressive fashion. Uh, it was good to see. Yeah, and that's why I think, you know, so many people rate Raymond Ford and say that he is one of the brightest prospects there is in world boxing. Um, 
So yeah, moving on to the main event, Montana Love loses his O by disqualification. Now 18-1 and with a draw. Um, it went into round six. Um, very controversial in the end, obviously. And the winner, Steve Spark, now 16-2. and um, Montana Love down in round two. And then obviously disqualified in the end um, for throwing Steve Spark over the top rope. Um, I don't know if you saw this, Eddie. Did you Did you see this by any chance? Oh, yeah, definitely. I was okay. watching it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Obviously, um, as I said, you know, Steve Spark w- was a puncher. I said it on last week's show. Australians don't always get the biggest of opportunities. And the fact that he's going to be traveling to the US, you know, in a fight that there's a lot on the line for him, I knew he was going to bring it. And he did bring it. He really did. He was very, very aggressive from the get-go. Um, it was quite an interesting fight, actually, because obviously we knew Montana Love has got his number skill for skill. And, you know, Montana Love showed us some great counter-punching and stuff like that. But whenever Steve Spark would have a bit of success and he'd end up, you know, uh, backing Montana Love onto the ropes, Montana would look really, really vulnerable and in sometimes kind of have to run away, like, to you know, to stay off them ropes because it was a place he didn't want to be. And like we say, in, in round two, he touched down. He more than touched down. It was quite a heavy shot. Um, you know, he went down. I, I wasn't sure. It was one of those knockdowns when, when you see it, you know, in in, um, in in real time. You see it, you know, not in slow-mo. The way he went down, I was like, oh, I don't know if he's getting up. I, like, it's one of those knockdowns where he could be out. And um, he did get back up. And to his credit, his legs looked, looked quite strong very, quick, very quickly after being dropped and getting back up. Um, so his recovery skills were good, but... He, he was vulnerable many, many times, and he had to be on his A-game, really, to win rounds. And then, obviously, the controversy that came in that final round was that there was an accidental head clash. Um, you know, the referee stops it because Montana Love sustains a cut. He goes over to the doctor. He says he couldn't see, but it was weird because I think most of the time, you you know, when a fighter says that, I think most of the time they can see. And it's like, in my eyes, I feel like they're trying to look for a way out of the fight, but they're still going to get paid. So a little bit of me kind of doesn't feel like it's that outrageous of a thing to try and pull, especially in a fight that's close. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. But Montana Love said he couldn't see, um, you know, the cut, the cut, the, the blood wasn't running into his eye. The cut seemed like it was, you know, above his eyebrow. It was kind of stream, streaming down you know, the side of his face. I don't think it was it was um, uh, too bad. And he was kind of saying, I, I can kind of see, and, you know, he wasn't really sure what he was saying, you know, like, I, I'm not sure. It's like he wanted to kind of, I guess, maybe go to the cards or, or get something done about it, but he, he didn't quite know what was going to happen. So he was being careful what he said at, at one point. And then he was going, oh, no, I'm, I'm okay. I, yeah, I'm ready to carry on from being able to not see to that. And I don't know what he was trying to do or what he, what he was trying to, you know, come up with in his in his head. But the, the referee says he can't see, but we're going to give him another minute and see how it goes. So he sends him back out. Now, obviously, that was, that was a a really, really huge call from the doctor. But Montana Love went from not really seeming like he wanted it to carry on to wanting it to carry on because there's every chance that I guess he might have realized he could have been down. He was dropped. You know, he lost a 10-8 round. So (laughs) in the end, they let it carry on. And then within that minute that they were keeping an eye on Love, that's when he gets disqualified. Obviously, there was, you know, a moment of madness on the ropes. Montana Love did try and throw him. I don't don't think he meant to throw him out of the ring like that. Um, The way he landed was, was, you know, nothing short of unbelievably professional it's like the guy's been doing trampolining lessons or maybe jumping out of planes with with, 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 you know with a parachute on for years and years he landed like a pro and he wasn't hurt at all he you know he rolled over turned it into some kind of roll and then he was straight back in the ring it was so smooth he couldn't have done it any smoother but the referee abruptly decided to disqualify spark and it wasn't like it was a you know a rough and tumble kind of affair or anything it wasn't like 
Montana Love had been dirty throughout the fight, and then that was the final straw. It seemed very quick and very abrupt from the referee, especially with what had happened with the head clash and the fact that the doctor was keeping an eye on Love, you know, not even a minute prior to this. It was so, so, so controversial, Eddie. I want to know what you thought of it as a professional yourself and obviously the things that you've seen over the years. Um, boxing is, you know, such a crazy sport, as I say, almost every week. But I really thought Montana Love would win this fight and I had a, a nice few bets on him to win the fight. And when he got DQ'd, I could not mm. believe my eyes. Yeah, man, it, it was it was one crazy scenario. <laughs> a lot of... A lot of events that, that occurred in that fight that you just wouldn't like. Wow, why did why did that even have to happen? But um, it was a rough kind of a fight, and st- like you said, Steve Spark brought it. He came to win. He wasn't coming there to to just be in you know on, on TV. He wasn't just coming there to 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 say that I've done it. He was coming there to actually take something home and 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 put himself in position to maybe get a title shot at, at some point or at least be a marquee name in in, in boxing. You could just see it, and the knockdown. I, you know, I, I didn't. I don't want to say I saw it coming, but it was kind of there were things that were going on even in the first round that Montana Level was doing, and some of the some of the movements. And he's talented. He's got abilities. He's sliding. He's catching him with counter shots. You could just see he's the class of the ring. But it just looked to me like there was going to be a time. That he, because, because I've seen him in previous fights make mistakes, get caught with good shots, and I'm thinking this, this is a puncher. This kid's a puncher, and he's coming to win. He's coming to, 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 to take the top, to take his uh, position. And um, when the shot happened and he went down, I was like, oh shit! <laughs> it's almost like I predicted it. Not necessarily that it happened right, you know, right at the right time or when I expected it to happen. It was just, it was kind of like a shock, but. And it, it, but it happened. It, it's kind of like I was expecting. But then I was thinking, okay, well, let me see if see how Montana loves deals with it. Let's see, get up and get back to the boxing. But you know, the things you were saying was almost perfect. It is, is exactly what I was saying. Every single time that Steve Spark allowed him to, you know, get in his zone, get into a, a spot, maybe back up a little bit, stay at range, he would lose. He was losing every moment of that. But as soon as he was aggressive, as soon as he started putting his front foot forward and started going in and, and, and attacking, Montana Love looked completely out of place. He looked like he didn't know what he wanted to do. He used some of those cute moves that he has, right, to get out of the way. But it looked like barely he was just getting out of the way of shots. It looked like he was so uncomfortable. Like he didn't really have a, 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 real, a real place in there when 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 the fight started coming to him you understand what i'm saying like when when he started bringing a fight to him he didn't know what to do and it was like i'm thinking damn is 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 this situation like if they say when they were they were to fight again because obviously now we see it if steve spark was there literally just come out there and try to bang him out would he be able to do it and you know a lot of people say well no i think you know montel love is talented enough to be able to hold his own and, 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 and get into a position where he could, you know, counter punch and possibly stop him. But I don't know, you know, just the way he reacted to the offense that Steve Spark was bringing, it was making, making me say, damn, I don't even know if he would be able to handle this guy. If he just literally just threw caution to the wind and just kept going in. And pow- even though, even though there were opportunities and there were times that Montana Love caught him with good shots coming in, you know, good shots, nice quick time shots and, you know, counter uh, uh, left hands and, and, and stuff like that was it was good, but I really, really, uh, I really just didn't like his reaction to how Steve Spark was coming in. You understand what I'm saying? Like he he was he was just not comfortable, and he just didn't look like he. And then at the end, it was a bit of frustration because the kid was working so hard, he was trying so hard to win. And, you know, he got a little rough. He did some, you know, some of the tactics were questionable, you know, headbutts, stuff like that, because he's coming in hard. But he's just fighting hard. He's just trying to win. And you could see when it happened, he, you know, kind of leaned over on Montana Love and Montana Love got angry. You could see the, the anger and how and the frustration just come up in him. And he kind of ran him into the ropes. And then, you know, they were like kind of tussling a little bit. And he didn't necessarily mean to throw him over, but it just happened. And as it happened, he didn't really think much of it. But when the ref snapped that, oh, no, that's a, that's a DQ. You're out of here type thing. It was a little hasty because 
you know, it, 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 he seemed pretty athletic on how he landed. And when he got back in the ring, I mean, you should just, I, I would say, okay, give him a hard warning, maybe take a point, shit, maybe even take two, but don't take him out of the fight. You should give him the opportunity to come back in because it wasn't like anybody got hurt. If it would have been like, if, he, if the kid would have went down and act like he hurt his leg or his neck or something, then that's something, that's, that's a little different. But the fact that he jumped right back up in the ring and was ready to go, shouldn't DQ him on that kind of a situation. You know what I mean? It would be different if it was some repeated uh, 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 fouls and things like that. Then, yeah, you would say, okay, yeah, this, this, this guy's just doing it. He's trying to get out of here. But it was a one-time thing. It wasn't necessarily done intentionally. It's a quick reaction in a situation where there's so many things involved. There's money. There's 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 there's, there's uh, opportunity for both fighters. Uh, it, it, the event itself that was the main event you don't want to just react too crazy you know what I mean now they're going to be looking at him as a ref like yeah we got to be careful when we hire this guy so <laughs> we'll see what happens the rest of his refing career at least up to this point I mean this was a, this was a one time thing hopefully for him but um, it kind of just took away from the excitement and you know the fight was it was good energy in the fight it was it was, it was contested properly on, on both ends they were they were really trying to win uh, there was a lot of questions that we didn't see answered yet, so it's unfortunate that we uh, we didn't see it, we didn't get a chance to see it through. But well, I mean, we did in a sense with the disqualification. But most people, real, you know, who, who were watching what I said, I would have liked to have seen the fight go as far as it needed to go to declare uh, an actual winner. Yeah, and I just want to take a moment as well, just to say that you know, credit to both guys. Obviously, Montana Love willing to carry on. Um, not straight away, but willing to carry on. I think, obviously, with the with the cut and credit as well to Steve Spark, who you know, as you say, could have gone down, could have started holding his head, um, you know, whatever, and made a meal out of it, and definitely, you know, tried to milk it. But he was ready to carry on as well. So I think credit to both guys for their willingness to carry on. It was actually the referee that seemed to be the the major problem, which is a real shame because we don't like to see referees become, uh, you know, a big problem and the main talking point of a fight, especially between two good fighters at the top level. Um, but yeah, you know, credit to Steve Spark in particular, because if he went out like that, um, you know, he went over the rope like that. We know that if that was Bernard Hopkins, he would have gone down uh, landing on his uh, on his uh, <laughs> foot and then saying his head hurts or even landing on his head and pretending he couldn't walk, Eddie. <laughs> Yo, st- <laughs> Yo, Bernard learned early, man. He's like, listen, that check is going to be cashed regardless <laughs> of what happens in this ring. If I could get out of here... With, with with one round and and a, and, a, and a hurt foot, quote unquote hurt foot, and make a million dollars of cool. So, so like you said, credit to them. But no, you got I got I got to give big credit to Steve Sparks and Montana Love both for trying to make the fight and being willing to uh you know to go even in in the face of some uh some adversity. And the way he just got back up in the ring, you could tell he really wanted it. And it was a it's a good thing to see with fighters when they when they really, really put that effort in. Yeah, and I just want to say, I wonder if if um, if Bernard Hopkins ever would have fought, you know, in an outdoors arena, if he ever did, in the open air. You could just imagine, like, you know, if there was lightning in the sky that night, somehow that would catch him and he'd, he'd, he'd get a DQ. Lightning would get <laughs> would get disqualified. Um, <laughs> You're terrible, yo. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Moving on, moving on. <laughs> um, actually, there is nothing to move on to. That is the end of the review part of the show. The final thing for me to do before we wrap up part one is to welcome this week's special guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the undefeated super middleweight contender ranked number one in the world with a WBO. It is, of course, friend of the show, Mr. Zach Parker. Zach, welcome back on the show, my man. Yeah, good to be back, mate. How are you? Very well, my friend. Very well. Thanks for asking. So we last spoke back in March. At that time, you were about eight weeks away from fighting in Derby against Demetrius Andrade. Obviously, it would have been an unbelievable night in Derby, but sadly, the fight fell through. Um, Let's start with that briefly. Was that a tough one to deal with, Zach? I'm guessing it must have been. Yeah, yeah. It was um, hard at the time, obviously. First time fighting in front of the Derby crowd. uh, at my, obviously at my beloved uh, football ground, Pratt Park, but um, obviously after napping for a reason, and 
we're all where we're at now. Uh, fighting uh, John Ryder, 26, uh, makes that for a better fight, I reckon. Uh, obviously, Andre has been having chase. Oh, I think I've lost you. Hello? Sorry, yeah, Zach, me? you went away for a few seconds there. Yeah, obviously, um, I was saying, uh, obviously, with the Andre fight, I reckon I'd have been uh, chasing him. And uh, now with the John Ryder fight, it makes out for a better fight because he's going to meet me in the middle and it's going to make out for a much better fight for the fans. Yeah, I think stylistically it's going to be more exciting. Um, yeah, it's just a shame, obviously, the Andre fight was supposed to happen a couple of times. It ended up keeping you inactive. Um yeah, so as you as you touched on it, you're going to be boxing John Ryder uh, at the O2. Firstly, as I just mentioned there, you're coming off a whole year now of inactivity. Do you believe in ring rust, Zach? No, to be fair, I've done it all my life, so um, I know how to keep yourself like in top condition. And obviously, it's sparring it helps. And I did a lot of sparring. I've been doing a lot of sparring, so yeah. I don't really believe in ring rust. Uh, obviously, sparring helps and that. So yeah. Um, I, I I should be I should be fine on November twenty sixth. And two of your last three fights have been in London. You've boxed at the Copper Box. You've boxed at the Royal Albert Hall. Um, both of those two performances as well were arguably your two career best. You stopped Sherzod Kurzanov uh, in just a round, then Vaughn Alexander in just two rounds. Both guys had never been stopped before. This time you'll be boxing at the O2 Arena. London isn't exactly close to Derby, but it seems like you're making it your home. Yeah, no stranger to boxing there. Um, so obviously the O2, it's, it's mad that I'm actually bo- uh, headline there. Never mind boxing. Um, never been there until my press conference. So yeah, should be a good night for me. And the fight itself, obviously, it's an excellent fight. Um, do you anticipate it though, Zach, to be the most difficult challenge of your career thus far? Yeah, yeah, hundred uh, percent is. Probably uh, the best person I've boxed so far. He's been in there with a lot of uh, good people, like likes of Callum Smith, uh, Danny Jacobs, uh, Billy Joe. You know, a lot of people have been around the block. So, yeah, should be um, probably my hardest fight. Uh, but I can make it easy if I box to my game plan. Yeah, yeah. And how do you see the fight playing out? Obviously, Ryder has improved so much over the last few years. He's coming off that career-best win last time out against Danny Jacobs. Seems like he's in the best form of his career at the minute. Yeah, yeah. Um, watching like, the Danny Jacobs fight. It was a close fight, obviously. Uh, Jacobs coming towards the end of his career now. Uh, or He's pretty much finished. But, um, yeah, nevertheless, it was a really good win for John Ryder. But... I just believe, I just believe I'm coming into my prime, um, and uh, I'm I'm 28, going on 29, and uh, yeah, this is recognising me, the best in the world. And am I right in saying, Zach, that you've never boxed a southpaw as a pro? Is that a fact? I don't. I couldn't. I couldn't even say to be fair. I'm not even. I'm not even thought about it. I'm. I'm not even. Uh, probably not to be fair. Yeah. Yeah, I think I had a good look and I was thinking, wait, like, I was looking for every single person and from what I could see, I don't think you'd been in with a Southpaw as a pro. Um, that's something I was able to dig up there. Yeah, um, yeah. The fight, Zach's obviously for the WBO interim super middleweight world title. Um, we had John on the show a couple of weeks back and I said the same thing to him. Surely, surely the winner gets Canelo. Surely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's the aim. That's the... That's, uh... Big fight out here, what all the super middleweights want at the minute. Uh, likes of Benavidez plant, they're, they're trying, they're getting it together to fight each other so the winner can get uh, Canelo as well. So, yeah, that's that's the aim. That's what I, that's what I want. Even if it ain't Canelo, I just want the world title. Um, this is one step closer to it. Uh, obviously, interim world title. And if uh, Canelo goes up uh, to fight Bivol again and, and vacates, vacates the WBO, the winner of this gets made straight world champion. So, yeah. Uh, it's a really big part for me. I need to be switched on. Yeah, a hundred million percent. And um, I feel that sometimes in the past, Zach, um, maybe you've been a bit too impressive with a win. And I was going to ask you: Do you ever sometimes, in the back of your mind, kind of think if you win a bit too impressively, it can sometimes do you more harm than good because it can make people run a million miles in the opposite direction? 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing, isn't it? Um, it can deter deter people from fighting you, but I'm only going out and doing my job, innit? So if um, people can't stand up to obviously my power and things, uh, but right now with a big fight, I've been waiting for a big fight, and uh, I need to take it with both hands. Uh, it's a uh, hopefully win this, and then try and get the if if Canelo vacates, try and get the world title back in. Back in Derby and get the Pro Park, uh, Pro Park fight again. Yeah, we'd love to see it happen. And um, just finally, my final real question for you, Zach. I wanted to ask if you do have one, um, what your final prediction would be for November the twenty sixth. I know you hate going the distance. Um, to get a stoppage against John would be super impressive, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, um, I'm. I'm just going to be ready for the whole twelve rounds. If the stoppage comes, I'll take it with both hands like I have done in the past. But yeah, if um, it, Zach Park win either points or knockout, it don't it don't matter how it comes to me as long as I walk out that ring with the belt. There we go, there we go. And just finally, if you've got any closing words, Zach, for the listeners before we let you go, it's not been the smoothest of phone calls. We've been broke up a couple of times, <laughs> but hopefully we get That's this it. last message clearly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, just obviously tune into the fight or buy tickets. There's still tickets available. There's a big, there's a really good undercard on on uh, on the show as well, uh, likes of Dennis McCann, Shiraz, um, yeah. But the main the main bill, a lot of people are talking about it, and uh, it should be make up for a great fight. He's going to come bring it. I'm going to come bring it, and may the best man win. Yeah, of course, it's going to be a brilliant card. Um, it's going to be a brilliant show, and I'm going to say the main event is certainly better than the main event that Eddie Hearn, I think, put, has put together for the same night, which is annoying. But um, sure. I think if you've got one TV, we all know which fight we're going to be tuning into. Um, just, just finally, Zach, I wanted to say it's always a pleasure speaking with you, my man. You know that yourself. Best of luck, November 26th, and we'll catch up sometime afterwards. Nice, mate. Cheers for having me on again. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. What do we have here? Two pieces of news. Let's start with this one. There's a card that's been announced for December the 3rd. It's a matchroom card. We're going to see Julio Cesar Martinez defending his WBC flyweight world title against Samuel Carmona. That's going to be at the Desert Diamond Arena in Glendale, Arizona. Um, That's going to be the co-main event for that trilogy fight between Juan Francisco Estrada and Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez. So it's great to have Martinez on the card as well. Despite the fact I'd love to see him in with Sonny Edwards, but for whatever reason, it seems like it can't happen. Um, Boxer and Ben Shalom as well have announced a card for December 17th. It's quite a good card, actually. I think they're billing it the Christmas Cracker. Uh, I think the main event fight, if I'm not mistaken, is um, Chris Billum Smith. He gets in with a guy called Armand... I'm not even going to try and pronounce that surname. And you know how brave I like to get with my pronunciations. I just go for it without caring the world. But I'm not going to go for that one. I've got no idea where to start with it. But the guy's first name is Armand. Um, yeah, so he's 14 and 2. Um, that's about all I can say. Um, on the undercard, a brilliant fight, by the way, at light heavyweight. Um We've got we've got Dan Aziz seventeen and oh getting in with Rocky Fielding. Um so that is is a really good really good fight, I think, there. Rocky Fielding probably at the tail end of his career, but he's been so, so inactive that um, you know, I don't really know what he's got left. And it'd be interesting because at one point he was a decent fighter. Um what else do we have on the card? We've got Vidal Riley getting on the card as well. We've also got um, Caroline Dubois on the card. I think that's about it, really, for the big names. That's it, though, for the news part of the show. Moving on now to the preview part. We're going to start here with this one. It takes place tomorrow night at the Techport Arena in San Antonio, Texas. Over here, friend of the show, Hector Tanahara. Um, 19-1 and one with a draw. The one loss, of course, came to William Zapeda. This is a six-rounder here against Antonio Meggia, who's 10-4. and four. All the best there to Hector Tanahara. Moving out now to France at the La Palastre in Le Canet in France. It's a terrible accent pronunciation. Um... <laughs> that wasn't too bad. That wasn't too bad, Joe. I mean, I, I, I couldn't do it any better. <laughs> 
Over here we have Milan Pratt, who is 17-0, getting in with Stephen Danio, who's 20-5 with three draws. That's over 12 for the vacant EBU European Super Welterweight title. We've got Kevin Lele Sadjo, 18-0, getting in with Emre Kukur, who's 19-1 with a draw over 12 rounds for the EBU European Super Middleweight title. And the main event, Arsene Gulamirian, 26-0. He holds the WBA Super World Cruiserweight title. Um, do not ask me who he who he fought to win the belt because I couldn't tell you but he does hold the super title um, with the WBA at Cruiserweight and he gets in with the undefeated Alexei Egorov who is 11-0 there that's over 12 rounds of course that would be a good fight I think I think um, I think Egorov was one of those good amateurs that turned over I wonder if he's the favourite I'm going to look into that um, moving out now to Mexico at the Distrito Federal in Mexico City over here. Friend of the show, former IBF world champion Carlos Molina, 38 and 12 with two draws, gets in with Oziel Santoyo, who's 13 and 2 with a draw. It's over 10 rounds there. It's super well to wait. Carlos Molina, um, top of the bill, but also the promoter of the show. Decent undercard as well. A couple fighters on there that have been in big fights before. Um, what else do we have? Moving out now to another part of Mexico. This one in Guadalajara over here. Main event, Jaime Munguir. It's going to be on the zone 40-0. He gets in with Gonzalo Correa over 10 rounds. Correa 21-5. Really just not sure what Munguir seems to be doing. Um, obviously, you know, it was excellent that he become world champion at 154, and, you know, he was he was on a hell of a run, like, wow, and then when he decided to make the move to 160, it's been so slow, I think the best fighter he's boxed at that weight would have been probably Gabe Rosado, if I'm not mistaken, I can't even think, he's had such a really um, quite poor run of opponents, you know, um, I think he even had the fight with um, Jimmy Kelly as well, if I'm not mistaken. I'm sure he got in with Jimmy Kelly. So he's had such a poor run, and I just don't get what he's doing. At this point, I'm starting to think he's given up any any uh, desire of being a world champion again to instead maybe chase the Mayweather 50-0 record or something. I mean, he's at 40-0. Um, you know, he was never going to be a guy that was going to go on forever with his style. You know, he loves to take punches in the face like no other fighter. But... Um, it's 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 just a bizarre one again, and it's just another another completely pointless fight in the career of Mungia, who I think has got a lot better as time goes on. Actually, I talk about him loving to take punches in the face, but I think his all-round game has been um, has been increasing really over the last maybe two years. But I say that. When you look at the guys he's been in with in that time, maybe that's why he looks a bit better, because he's not fighting the same calibre of opponents, I don't think. And I've got no idea why. I think he was given the opportunity to get a mandatory shot straight away, because that's the rule with the WBO when you move up and vacate. You get you get elevated straight into that position, but I don't think he wanted the shot. Um just cannot work out what he's doing. Uh, moving out now to the Telford International Centre in Shropshire. This is in the UK. It's going to be on BT Sport over here. We've got Anthony Yard, friend of the show, 22-2. and two. Um, I think we're going to see him box Arta Baturbiev for the world title, I believe, in maybe January or February. But he gets in in a little keep-busy fight with Stefani... Koikov, who is 14-1, and one. I think he was stopped in his one loss, but it was early on in his career, um, he's got 12 KO wins, if I'm not mistaken, but I don't think he's going to have anything to offer Anthony Yard, um, maybe it might be exciting because he can punch a bit, but I, I expect Anthony Yard probably to bang him out within four or five rounds, um, when I've looked at the records of the people that this guy's beaten, it's it's really quite bad records. Most, I think, were losing records. Elsewhere on the card, we've got Ethan James, 9-0, in a 10-rounder for the WBO European Super Lightweight title against Connor Parker, who's 14-1. Could be a good fight there. Um, and the main event, Liam Davies, 12-0. It's for the EBU European Super Bantam and WBC International Super Bantamweight titles. Um, he gets in with Iron Baluta, who's 15 and 3. Um, Baluta's a good fighter, obviously. We've seen him mainly, I guess, 
his bigger fights have been his losses when he lost to the likes of Michael Conlon, but gave him a good fight. Um, lost the majority decision to him, obviously. Um, I, I say that he, he was on a bit of a run. He beat a few Irish fighters like um, David Oliver Joyce, TJ Doheny. That was a huge upset when he beat Doheny. Um, and yeah, he beat Brad Foster as well last time out. So he's on a bit of a run, to be totally honest with you. I've seen him sparring with with Archie Sharp myself in person, and um, he's he's a good fighter here. And um, he gets in with Liam Davies. It's going to be a tough fight that one there. I expect it to. Definitely go the distance, I'd say. It could be close. I think Baluta's a bit of a nightmare. He doesn't really stop throwing punches. He comes and comes and comes. Uh, moving out now to the entertainment and sports arena in Washington, D.C. over here. Friend of the show, Dusty Hernandez Harrison. He was set to fight, wasn't he, at one point? And then his father was, I think, murdered. And um, he was still going to fight on the weekend, but the fight ended up falling through, and probably for good reason, really. I don't think he would have been in the right mind frame. But he gets in here, um, apparently, anyway. There's still no opponent yet. He's 34-0 with a draw. He was he was a welterweight when he was at the top of his game, and he's now at cruiserweight, which is unbelievable. Um, what else do we have? Moving out now to the McBride Hall in Gary, Indiana. Over here, friend of the show, Mary McGee, former world champion. No opponent just yet for her, but she's scheduled to fight. Um, her record, 27-4. and four. Hopefully, she does get a fight. And then the final card to mention, it's just one fight to mention, at the Moody Theater in Austin, Texas, USA. Over here, top of the bill, I think it is. Greg Hardy, 1-0 in a four-rounder against... Hassim Ratman Jr., 12-1. and one. Um, I didn't know if this was going ahead because obviously we were supposed to be seeing Vitor Belfort get in with Hassim Ratman Jr. Hassim Ratman Jr. was going to have the chance to beat Belfort back um, on behalf of boxing after what he did to 75-year-old Evander Holyfield um, when, when, when um, Donald Trump did the commentary that night. That was just an unbelievable night, never to be forgotten in boxing history. Sad that Evander lost, but unbelievable to have Donald Trump on commentary and, and all the people chanting uh, <laughs> Trump, 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 or whatever the boxing fans were saying in that particular venue. Um, <laughs> I want to see him on commentary again, actually. But um, anyway... Uh, Greg Hardy steps in, late replacement, because Vito Belfort has COVID-19. So, um, so yeah, all the best to Vito Belfort in his recovery from that, but it's not really the fight we wanted to see. There was rumours it was going to be Shannon Briggs, and I think a lot of people were, were thinking, wow, Shannon Briggs against Hassim Ratman Jr., wow, that's going to be kind of cool. But we're getting Greg Hardy, and I'm going to be honest, I don't know who Greg Hardy is. I don't know, he's, he's 1-0 as a pro, if I'm not mistaken. Never heard of him up until about five minutes ago, so I don't know how good he is. I'm expecting Hassim Ratman to to win and hopefully take him out, obviously friend of the show. Um, that's about it, though, for the show. In part one, we did the review part. We welcomed our special guest. And in part two, we did the news part. And I've just wrapped up the preview part. The final thing for me to do is to come in with the outro, which I'll do in just a few seconds. Okay, and this wraps up episode 370 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A special thank you to our special guest, the undefeated WBO number one ranked super middleweight in the world, Mr. Zach Parker. Um, the biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners. It really, really does. Once again, if you do have a spare minute or two, please, please leave us a review on iTunes. That really means a lot to us. That's like the best thing you can do for us. Uh, we do a free podcast every week. If you could just give us two minutes just to leave a review on iTunes, it would be massively appreciated. That's about everything from myself, though. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe, and we shall see you all again next week.